The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome back to the show Robert Boval, who has come on this show and spoken before about the Orion mystery, the correlation between uh, Orion's belt and the three great pyramids in Giza and uh, breaking the mirror of heaven, which he spoke about on the last time he was on the show. Also written a really significant book from my perspective called Talisman, which talks about the imprint into the landscape quite deliberately uh, of the sort of hermetic principles. And today we're going to be talking about the Vatican Heresy, one of uh, Robert's most recent books. So, Robert, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to be back, Peter. So tell us about the Vatican Heresy. It sounds fascinating. Indeed. Um, let me first introduce the, my co-authors uh, on this book. Uh, there is uh, my principal co-author, uh, Chiara Hohenzoller. I, I need to explain something rather interesting about her. Please do. I met her a year and a half ago at a conference in Italy. I was, at the time, uh, hatching the idea of writing this book. And uh, she very much impressed me because she, uh, she is a uh, graduate in uh, Italian Renaissance history, but uh, she also comes from a scholarly family, and uh, her mother is a professor of Latin. Now, the, the book that uh, you're about to hear of is, uh, is centered very much in the 15th, 16th, and 17th century Italy. And, of course, many of the documents are in Latin or in Old Italian. And, uh, among many things I do, I actually speak Italian, but not Latin. So uh, Chiara was extremely useful. Uh, what's interesting about her is that two months after we began to research on the book, she fell in love and decided to get married. And uh, believe it or not, she married a prince, hence her change in name to Hohenzoller, uh, Prince Kenneth William from uh, the Prussian dynasty. He's the grandson of Kaiser William II. So there we are. We have a princess as a co-author for the first time for me. <laughs> very, what an interesting story. <laughs> yes. Well, fairy tales do come true, apparently. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's a real love match, actually. They, they make a wonderful couple. I was at the wedding uh, in April. Uh, anyway, that's Chiara. Uh, she lives in Rome. And uh, a very, very useful researcher who joined us 
is Professor Sandro Zicari. Professor Zicari is a, a, a mathematician uh, teaching and working at the University of Rome, La Sapienza. Extremely useful to have on this book because not only he was a keen student of uh, Renaissance architecture, but uh, he had access, which we couldn't have, to uh, what we call deep, deep, deep web. That's the, that's the term these days. Uh, through the university uh, search engines, he could get me documents from the Vatican and uh, all sorts of private letters between the popes and the various protagonists in the story. So there you are. It's a well-researched book, and I'm extremely proud of it. Let, let me start from, from the beginning, really. Uh, like all detective stories, you have two uh, ways that these stories develop. Uh, like in movies, either the who done it we don't know, and there is the detective developing the the, the, the plot through his research and clues and so forth. Typical detective work, or you have that kind of uh, story where we know who done it. <laughs> or who did it, uh, but we don't know why. We don't know why, and we don't know how, and so the detective uh, uh, is, is there trying to prove the case, and this is how this book developed. Uh, so I'll start from the very top. I'll, I'll actually explain what the heresy is. In 15, can I go on? Or you, Absolutely. I, no, you, Robert, don't, you know I'm, me, if you, don't, if you don't interrupt me, I'll go on. <laughs> Robert, I'm sitting back here and listening with the absolute total commitment to what you've got to okay, say. Okay, fast. <laughs> you see, Bill, so let's go. Uh, well, in 1540, uh, a huge, huge breakthrough occurred in the Renaissance Europe. Uh, and uh, this is, of course, the uh, discovery by uh, Johann Copernicus of the heliocentric theory that the uh, sun and not the earth is at the center of the visible universe. And he developed the theory, uh, which he published, by the way, on his deathbed, or had published on his deathbed. I mean, he was so scared of the uh, repercussions coming from the church, which uh, saw anything uh, regarding the, uh, the, the, the creation as they saw it, how God created the universe, if it contradicted the scriptures, it would be considered heresy. Uh, anyway, the book was published after his uh, death, and, uh, well, we all know the heliocentric theory, the, the sun is at the center of a system around which the planets revolve. Now, one of the things that Copernicus got wrong, he had everything right except one little thing, uh, the planets do not go in a perfect circle, as we know, but they go, uh, they, they revolve around the sun in a very, very slight, elongated ellipse. Now, this is very important to understand about this book, because the elliptical uh, heliocentric theory was developed a few years later by Kepler, Johann Kepler, the, the, the famous astronomer in Prague. Uh, who refined it uh, uh, very slightly, but he got all the credit because he got it right. Now, what is the, 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 the heliocentric theory in terms of Kepler? It's very simply, he had three laws. We're just going to deal with the first one. It's not going to get too scientific. Basically, what he said is that the sun is at a focal point 
of the ellipse around which the planets go around. Now, an ellipse has two focal points, not like a circle which has one central point, focus. The ellipse has two focal points on each side of the center of the ellipse. Now, I'm saying this because the whole book hinges on this design, on this, this vision. So to any astronomer, any amateur astronomer who looks at a diagram that has, is an ellipse with one focal point, not two, which represents the sun in this case, immediately springs to mind Kepler's first law of planetary motion. Now, having set this, what is peculiar, and hence the heresy, is that the Piazza St. Peter in front of the Vatican in Rome has exactly this design. It is an ellipse, at the center of which stands an ancient Egyptian obelisk. And when it was designed in 1656, there was one focal point, or one spot that was going to be used as a focal point, which was a fountain adjacent to the obelisk. And when this was designed by the architect Bernini, by the way, your your listeners should know Bernini from Dan Brown's books, Gian Lorenzo Bernini, the famous Baroque architect, who was the subject of a thriller by Dan Brown, if I'm not mistaken, it was Angels and Demons. Is that right, uh, Peter? It is correct indeed, yeah. Remember it well, yeah. And uh, when Bernini came to design the piazza, what he found there was an empty area with an obelisk right in front of the Vatican, this Egyptian obelisk. I'll explain later where it came from. And adjacent to it was a fountain that had been designed and built about 15 years ago, 15 years before. And he used the fountain as one of the focal points to design his ellipse. In other words, what he designed, whether by coincidence or by deliberation, is Kepler's first law of planetary motion. Now, the big question is this. Now, this, did he do it deliberately? Because if he did, then it's an enormous, or was an enormous heresy at the time. Because here is what happened. When Copernicus published his theory in 1548, uh, 1545, let me get this right, uh, immediately the Vatican reacted to this because the Vatican was sitting on an interpretation of the Holy Bible, of the Scriptures, where they had interpreted certain passages of Genesis as God's word describing in, in a slightly vague language, as the Bible is, that it was the sun that was at the center, sorry, that it was the earth at the center of the visible universe. In other words, the earth was fixed, and that everything that moved, the planets, the, 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 the sun, the moon, and the stars, moved around the earth. Now, of course, we know this is wrong, but this is what the church set on, and anybody who contradicted this position was committing a heresy. Now, when Copernicus brought the theory out, although it was a heresy, he was not living in in Italy, and it was kind of tolerated by the Vatican, because, after all, it was a theory. And they assumed, wrongly, that it could never be proved. Nobody would actually see the planets going around the sun. It's impossible to, to verify this theory. Very much like, by the way, a lot of... Uh, cosmological theories these days as we hear from various cosmologists they, 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 they devise beautiful models but we, we can't see them so they remain theories 
Well, this was the case with the heliocentric theory. However, everything changed when Galileo invented the telescope, more or less about 50 years after Copernicus died. Now, this changed everything because with the telescope, now, by the way, I need to rectify a sort of general misconception. Galileo did not discover the heliocentric theory. If you ask people in the street who discovered the heliocentric theory, they usually say Galileo. Galileo confirmed the, 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 the theory of Copernicus with the telescope. When he developed the telescope, he could actually see, he could actually see the planets. Well, first, he saw the moons of Mars and the moons of Jupiter going around the planets. So that, that indicated to him that, his th- that Copernicus' theory was correct. And therefore, it was empirically proved. There is this famous uh, moment where Galileo uh, invites the cardinals who still insisted, from the Vatican, who still insisted that it wasn't true, that it couldn't be so, because the scriptures said otherwise. He invited them to have a look at the telescope and look through the telescope and... So goes the legend, they refused. They refused to look. They were so convinced of the veracity of the Bible. So there we had a problem, because Galileo had brought the Vatican to an impasse, to a very difficult position. The theory was now a fact, and yet the Vatican did not want to accept it. And of course we know what happened. He was uh, called in by the, the Inquisition under Pope uh, Urban VIII and made to recant. He was an old man at the time. He was in his uh, late 60s. I shouldn't say old man at 60s because I'm 66. <laughs> in those days. <laughs> in those days, yes. I mean, if you live beyond 60, you, you, you were lucky to make it, you know. Uh, I'm still a young man at 66. Sorry. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he was 69. Uh, very tired. He suffered from eyesight and all sorts of problems. He had been looking at the telescope too intensely. And uh, it's a kind of a very sad thing for, uh, for history, for, for the history of science, for the history of humankind, that somebody who is absolutely, absolutely convinced that what he has said is true, to be forced to say that it isn't. And there's this famous, again, probably a legend, but uh, it's, it's gone down in history as him recounting and walking out of the Inquisition uh, and he whispered next to the cardinal that was next to him, a purigira. Um, it, it, I'm sorry, but it does turn. In other words, that the earth turns around the sun, revolves around the sun. And there he is shaking his head and he's put into house confinement and the Pope, Urban VIII, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> declares the, the heliocentric theory a heresy under a papal bull. <coughs> Excuse me, I have to cough a bit here. <coughs> actually, actually, Robert, we're coming up to our, our first break, so ah, you, can, you, you, can have, you can have a little cough Sa- off save the Save by the bell, save <laughs> by the bell. <laughs> and we'll continue like... with the Vatican heresy when we return. It's been a tongue for awakening to conscious co-creation. is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? 
Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Just a reminder to go to my website, www.petertung.com, where all of our information resides, uh, newsletters, and we've got my uh, March newsletter coming out very shortly, which includes all the information about the Landscape Zodiac work that we're doing, all of the guests on the radio show. And if you are interested in joining uh, live meditations on a Thursday morning, 11.30 Pacific, uh, we've got a great uh, thing going there now with the meditations being made available to you either live or through MP3 downloads. So if you wish to get involved in that, just go to uh, the events page on my website, www.petertongue.com. I have with me today Robert Baval, who is giving us an absolutely intriguing insight to his book, The Vatican Heresy. And just before the break, Robert, you were getting excited telling the story of uh, Galileo, so please continue. Indeed, and I've just had a nice uh, sip of Earl Grey tea. Oh, wonderful. So my voice is back. <laughs> All is well. Uh, well, we were, we were, yes, we were at the point where the... the Pope Urban VIII. Now let, let's fix some dates here. We're now in 1630, and Galileo has just been made to recount by the Inquisition. And uh, <clears throat> the reason he quickly recounted, as a matter of fact, is that 30 years before, a uh, uh, an Italian that I will speak about now uh, had been burnt at the stake, precisely for similar ideas. So of course, uh, any threats by the, uh, by the Inquisition uh, would have been taken very, very seriously by anybody facing that, that dreadful Inquisition. So anyway, here we are. Uh, Urban VIII slams a papal bull and declares that uh, it is a vile and uh, heretical thing to 
even mention this heliocentric theory. You know, it cannot be spoken of, it cannot be taught, it cannot be written about, it cannot uh, be even mentioned in a conversation. Uh, anybody who does so, uh, and is caught doing so, is going to face the Inquisition, uh, either facing a death penalty in those days, uh, burned at the stake, uh, or uh, life imprisonment at best. So there you are, this was the position. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to give a broad view of what was going on all around this situation, because this is one of the fun things about this book, is that we're in a period where so many things are going on that has literally changed the world that, that, that was existing then and the world that we have now. Uh, for example, one of the uh, uh, big, big changes that was occurring at the time of Galileo's trial was, of course, the discovery of the New World. The New World uh, had been discovered in uh, 1492 by, uh, I hope I get this date right, it's one of those books full of dates, uh, by Columbus. And now something very important occurred to the Vatican because they were facing some gigantic problem in Europe. Of course, that gigantic problem was the split of Christianity literally in two, where in, uh, in about the same time, I think it was in the jubilee of the, 15th, of the 16th century, when uh, Martin Luther came to, uh, to Rome. Uh, amazingly, you know, Synchronicity. Do you believe in synchronicity, Peter? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm actually watching it all the time. I'm watching from a distance, and there's a documentary about Martin Luther King. I'm not joking, right in front Uh. of me. And I've just just mentioned Martin Luther, the original Martin Luther, of course, the Protestant reformator, who uh, went to Rome for the Jubilee, was extremely shocked by what he saw with with the opulence. Uh, of the Vatican and returned and uh, created the Protestant movement and within a few decades the, the, the Christian world in Europe had split into two. Mostly the northern countries had become as far as the Vatican was concerned heretical they were Protestants uh, the Scandinavian countries Germany of course, England had already uh, gone into Protestantism under Henry VIII and most of the Latin countries were still under the papacy, in, uh, under Catholicism. So <clears throat> they tried to fight it off, of course, at the beginning. There was the, the, the horrible 30 years war, which uh, caused enormous genocide, terrible horrors. Terrible horrors occurred in Europe, where both sides were merciless. So in burnings, uh, genocides, killing, witch hunting, went on for 30 years. But the problem wasn't resolved. And uh, they had to settle with the peace treaty, the famous treaty of Westphalia. And uh, that was that. The, the Europe was split into two. And the Vatican and the Protestant sides, but I don't want to go into that, the Vatican decided that they were going to try and pull back these so-called heretics, the Protestants, not through warfare, it had failed, but through another kind of warfare, through propaganda or what today would be called propaganda. And who created, literally, a propaganda college uh, in Rome at that time, uh, to be precise, in 1540, I think it was, uh, the Jesuits, a group of monks coming from uh, 
warrior monks, actually. They had been soldiers uh, coming from Spain, Ignacio y Loyola, with his uh, gang of monks, went to the Pope and convinced him that they were going to create a society, the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, who would set up a college in Rome. The idea was to educate priests into the sciences, uh, mostly into astronomy and mathematics. In fact, within a few years, they were the only scientists that, uh, that uh, operated in Europe. Very, very, very clever people to this day, by the way. But their motives was not entirely scientific. Uh, the intention was to create, or to form these, these uh, highly educated uh, priests and send them on missionaries to the new world. Because the, the Vatican, like the Protestants, by the way, realized that there's no point in trying to try and win back the uh, heretics by the Catholics and vice versa, the Protestant trying to convert more Catholics to their fold. But why not go and convert the rest of the world? There was a clean slate, especially in South America and in the Americas and in Africa and China, where they could convert uh, millions of people who were uh, ready for the taking. Now, the interesting thing is that the Jesuits very quickly realized that all these so-called pagans, particularly those in South America, were for many, many centuries following cults that were centered around solar deities. Uh, the, Musk, the Aztecs, the Mayans, the Mexicans, the, uh, even in China, the, the many African societies, certainly in North Africa with Egypt, they were centered on solar religions. And here comes the weird thing. The heliocentric theory becomes interesting to the church, even though it is heresy. Because, yes, if the church could adopt somehow this heresy, somehow, then uh, they could claim that they were the leaders and the, the most advanced leaders with all this scientific knowledge now that these missionaries went about taking telescopes and mirrors and whatnot to impress the, 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 the natives, that they had the world's solar religion in Rome under a pope or a pope king. It sounds very weird, but that's what they had in mind. Now, that was one of the movements. Another movement that was going on full blast and had started in Venice was the Hermetic tradition. And I'm sure many of your listeners uh, have read much about this, but let me just give a brief background. Uh, in Florence in the 1460s, just about almost at the same time uh, Copernicus was coming up with the heliocentric theory, uh, a movement started, which today we call the Hermetic Movement. Uh, documents were discovered, uh, believed to have been written by a sage, an ancient sage in Egypt that had predated Moses and that had, he had written a, a, a corpus of books known as the Hermetic Books. Uh, the, his name uh, was Hermes Trimegistos, Hermes the Thrice Great, the sage, modeled on the ancient Egyptian god of wisdom, the god Thoth, the god who invented the sciences and astronomy and the art of writing. These books 
had something that impressed the, uh, the philosophers of Renaissance Italy. Because all these philosophers, particularly the mathematicians, the astronomers, the, the humanists who were beginning to translate Plato, were very much repressed by the church. The church did not encourage uh, uh, the pursuit of knowledge, as a matter of fact, it depressed it. And the hermetic text proposed the opposite. It proposed a emancipation of the human condition through knowledge, that you could actually become divine, you could actually attain divinity through knowledge. And this, of course, was wonderful for these philosophers if they could somehow convince the Vatican that these texts were as valuable and as important and as, as a prophecies. Because the funny thing about these texts is not only that they encouraged knowledge, but they spoke in terms that could almost be interpreted as a prophecy to Christianity. They speak of the Son of God. They obviously were referring to Egyptian gods, but nonetheless, they speak of the Son of God, they speak of uh, the soul, they speak of uh, the, 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 the heavenly resurrection and so forth, which could be interpreted as Christian prophecies. And indeed, that's what these philosophers tried to do. Amazingly, many of them actually took it all the way to the Vatican. Uh, one of them is uh, the, the famous Giordano Bruno, uh, the man who got burned, by the way, as I was saying earlier, 30 years before Galileo's trial, Giordano Bruno uh, took it very, very far. Uh, he went to preach around Europe. He actually, many, it, what's interesting about this book, a part of the book that I found very interesting to explore, is that he had actually come to England during the Elizabethan uh, monarchy, Elizabeth I, and had met... Uh, the various protagonists around Elizabeth. He had actually met uh, uh, John Dee, uh, they say that he even met uh, Shakespeare, that he, he met uh, uh, various uh, people at the court, and he tried to convince uh, Elizabeth I to adopt his new ideas of this Egyptianized kind of Christianity. Of course, it failed. He did the terrible mistake of returning to Italy, was arrested by the Inquisition, dragged uh, to the Inquisitional court. I love this part. This, this, I've, I've written a lot about Giordano Bruno in my previous book. He's one of my heroes of, of, uh, of history. Uh, Peter, are you still there? Yeah, we're coming up to our next break, actually, Robert. So why don't you save the, the Bruno story for when we come back? Oh, yes. <laughs> I'd love to tell you this, this part. It's my favorite okay, part. Perfect. Let's okay. do that. Okay, it's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Explore subconscious programs, belief systems, and past life memories that may be sabotaging your life. Join host Dorian Light on her show, All About You, as she helps you to shift change and heal your life. Each week, Dorian does a light session using psychic energetics and the language of light to energetically shift and clear negative patterns you have stored regarding that week's topics. Step into the realm of infinite possibilities for your life. 
All About You. Airs live Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. I just want to take this opportunity to thank our sponsors for this series of shows, Sherry Chase of Chase International Real Estate Company in beautiful Lake Tahoe and Reno, Nevada, and also uh, Matt, who is my regular engineer at uh, Voice America and Brandy, my producer, for providing the opportunity for me to bring such wonderful guests to you, the listeners, so that you can build your own level of understanding of uh, the awakening taking place on the planet at this time and in talking about awakening we're talking about the uh, renaissance period where there was another major awakening taking place and it's just wonderful to hear robert uh, Bolval speak today with such passion about that time period and in particular about bruno who you're going to continue with now robert yes and uh, indeed the word renaissance in french literally means awakening uh, it was a big big awakening that was taking place um, and one of the great awakeners was Giordano Bruno. Now, for all your uh, listeners who are into uh, perhaps uh, uh, cosmology and, uh, and UFOs and, uh, and the, the idea of extraterrestrial life, Bruno is in fact the first man to have suggested, using the heliocentric theory uh, of Copernicus, that the universe was populated by many worlds. And many people think that he was uh, burnt at the stake because of his support for the heliocentric theory. In fact, the main accusation against him was precisely that he had claimed that there were many worlds inhabited outside our solar system. Uh, amazingly, I mean, uh, we're talking about uh, literally the, 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 the end of the uh, uh, 16th century. He was actually being at the Inquisition in the year 1600, precisely. Anyway, he's there at the Inquisition. I love to say this because I go to Rome very often, especially now with, the, with these books. And uh, there's a place in Rome called the Campo de Fiori, uh, the, the Camp of Flowers. It's actually a marketplace now. And there's a statue of Bruno there. There's a statue. 
and there he is brooding with his monk's uh, robe and he's, he's got his, his head covered and uh, amazing statue it was put there I think in the, in the 1800s by a group of uh, a group of Freemasons by the way and uh, because and it's written at the bottom of the statue his famous words because unlike Galileo he did not recant and they threw at him the book if he was not going to recant, he was going to be taken at the Campo di Fiori, which is the place that the, the Vatican sent its victims, to be burnt alive at the stake. Now, to me, it's something frightening. I mean, there, there, there can't be a, a worse death than being burnt alive and knowing that you're going to be burnt alive. Uh, it's the most horrific death that I can imagine. And there he is taking this accusation and he faces the inquisitional cardinals and he looks at them and he says those famous words. He says, you are more afraid to pass sentence on me than I am to receive it. Now, how's that for, uh, for, for courage? Huh? <laughs> what he meant uh, is, you know I'm right. You know that I'm telling the truth, and yet you are condemning me. You yeah. must be afraid, because you are going to be punished for this. And there he goes, he's dragged, uh, horrible. I describe it in the book, because we found letters and documents. And a brave, brave man that at the end, they, they, they try to convert him right at the end. They, they brandish a crucifix on his face, and he turns his face around, and he just dies in silence. Anyway, that sent a terrible message throughout uh, Europe, certainly throughout Italy, that do not oppose the Vatican on uh, issues such as the heliocentric theories and ideas that Bruno had. So, of course, you can imagine Galileo and all others who uh, were, 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 had these beliefs but could not express them. Anyway, let's get to the meaty part now. Good. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, there is another character in a, in, a, in a papal dungeon. I'm going to skip this very fast, but his name is Tommaso Campanella. He's been arrested precisely for the same reasons. He is in a papal dungeon in, in Naples. Amazingly, the Pope releases him. I'm going to leave this mystery that for people who want to read the book, because there's one hell of a story here. People, I found it very difficult to believe when I fell on these documents that Campanella, who was a hermetic philosopher and practiced a very peculiar kind of magic, the magic was that in those days people believed in astrology and the Pope had been frightened by an astrological prediction that there was going to be two eclipses in the year 16, let me get this right, 1628 and 1630 and that right in the middle of Galileo's trial and that during these ellipses the Pope would die and he was absolutely terrified. He found, he was told that this man in prison, Tommaso Campanella, could perform a counter magic to, count, to counter this, these, uh, these uh, astrological uh, predictions. And so he brings him to the Vatican and spends six months performing magic, the Pope performing magic at the Vatican in a very special room. <laughs> I'll leave it there because we found the room and we wrote quite a lot about it. It's wow. quite amazing. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to the meaty part because, because now we move very quickly to 30 years after Galileo's trial, we are now at the conclave of a new pope. A new pope is about to be elected. It's Alexander VII, and the conclave decides to, to nominate him pope. Uh, he is crowned in May, let me get this right, in May 1655. 
And uh, something happens. Something extraordinary happens which delights the Pope. He has been facing all sorts of problems like his predecessors, the, 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 the wars with the, uh, with the uh, uh, Protestants, particularly, particularly the Protestant army that was led by the King of Sweden, Adolf, um, Gustav Adolf II. Now, I'm mentioning his name because this is what happened. Gustav Adolf II, leading the Protestant and winning battle after battle against the Vatican, is killed in battle in 1632, two years after Galileo's trial. And his daughter, who is only 60 years old, is made Queen of Sweden. She is the famous Queen Christina of Sweden. Some of your older listeners will remember her. there was many movies about her. If I'm not mistaken, Greta Garbo did the famous Queen Christina of Sweden movie. The reason is as you will see in a minute, Queen Christina was no ordinary queen. She was the Cleopatra of the North. She wanted to learn everything there was to learn, and she could afford it, of course, because of her father, who had amassed this wealth through the battles, taking treasures from various conquered people around Europe. She was so, and she loved books. Her father had amassed books from various libraries in, in all the countries that he had conquered, in, in the northern Italy and so forth. And she had all these books and she invited and paid for many scientists to come to her court. She was only 20 when she was finally crowned. And she has all the scientists from Europe, particularly France, were the big scientists. And who she has in her court is the famous French scientist, the Cartesian French scientist, René Descartes. René Descartes was the man of the year, the man of, the century, of his century, a great mathematician and astronomer. Many people don't know this, but she brought him to the court. Poor René Descartes, she was so keen to study astronomy and mathematics with him that she insisted that she started lessons at 5 o'clock in the morning. And of course, being Stockholm without, uh, without central heating these days, poor <laughs> Descartes, yes... He caught, a, he caught a bad pneumonia and actually died uh, in her court. Wow. Uh, in any case, she was... She, she, they say she was a hermaphrodite. She was to dress as a man. She didn't want to, to do all the things that ladies did in the court. She would ride horses and study astronomy, uh, use telescopes. And, but what happened when, in 1655, we now have this new pope in the Vatican... She does something quite extraordinary. She converts, and I remember her father was the Pope's deadliest enemy, the Protestant king who led the Protestant armies. She announces that she is going to convert to Catholicism. There's a shockwave in Europe. It's a bit like Bin Laden who says, I'm going to take American nationality. You know, I mean, it's, it's one of those <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> impossible things, but there it is. And the Pope, of course, is absolutely delighted. I mean, what a PR activity he's going to do. I mean, the, the daughter of his worst enemy has decided to come back to the fold. And she's only 24. She renounces her crown, and she's invited to come and live with the Pope at the Vatican. And she does. So here we have Queen Christina, uh, a, a very, very enthusiastic lady, speaks nine languages, is new, new astronomy better than the, the astronomers of her time. She actually set up an observatory in, uh, in Rome. She has two Jesuits who run the observatory for her, 
And there is no doubt at all that she is very familiar with the Copernican and Keplerian heliocentric theory. There is no doubt at all. And there she is at the Vatican. There is another character who also is very familiar with Kepler's planetary, uh, first law of planetary motion. It's the Pope's confessor. Now, this took one hell of a study, I can tell you. We dug deep here to find out about this man. His name is Nicola Zucchi. He was a Jesuit from the Jesuit College, a very accomplished astronomer. Uh, something that may interest you, Peter, uh, yeah. because this book is full of these lovely sort of little discoveries. The Jesuits were not only accomplished astronomers. Do you know that there are 30, no, 38, I think, 38 lunar craters that are named after Jesuits? Oh, well, no. Yeah. One of them is named after this astronomer, Zuki. Oh. And he not only is an accomplished astronomer, he's the Pope confessor. He's the man who sits in this little cubicle and the Pope tells him his most inner secrets. And he a few years before, had actually traveled to Prague to meet Kepler. He, in fact, is the only one of the clique of people I'm going to allow, present now who actually met Kepler. And the reason he went to meet Kepler is that he had asked Galileo. Galileo was the only possessor of the first telescope. He built his own telescope. And he asked Galileo to build another telescope so he could take it to Kepler. So again, there is no doubt that protagonist number two, the Pope confessor, with Queen Christina, is absolutely clear and knowledgeable about the heliocentric theory and the Keplerian theory. But, of course, they're not going to talk about it, let alone talk about it at the Vatican. It is still considered a serious heresy. So, Robert, we're actually coming up to our third break now, so we'll take that. And then yes, we'll, we'll good. Come. We'll, we'll, we'll give the punchline on, the, on your last one here. Okay, perfect. Okay, it's Peter Tong for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness.
You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. I have with me today Robert Baval. And Robert, before you go into the final punchline here, let's let our listeners know how they can connect to you and to your books and to the Vatican Heresy in particular. Very simply, go to my website. It's www.robertboval.co.uk. .co.uk, not .com. You're going to get some pornographic site. Somebody hijacked it and I can't get it back. <laughs> there you are. Okay, okay. Anyway, okay. let, let me move fast now yes, because we're getting do. towards the end. And uh, usually this is a two-hour talk, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up now. Well, we're here we are. With, uh, we've uh, introduced two major astronomers, one a woman, uh, the first probably scientist of the Renaissance, really, Queen Christina, and uh, the Pope's confessor, Zucchi, uh, who are two astronomers, and they're there at the Vatican. They're there buddy-buddies with the Pope. They, they meet literally every day. And comes a third astronomer, a fellow called Athanasius Kircher. I'll skip a bit here. Athanasius Kircher was a personal friend of the Pope for many, many years before he was Pope. So here we have three astronomers, accomplished astronomers, very knowledgeable about the, the, the astronomy of the day and hardly uh, two, three decades after the Galileo trial, where the whole thing was still hot in the air. And the Pope now in January in 15th 1656, to be precise, that means a few months after Christina came to Rome, he calls in his papal architect, the famous Gian Lorenzo Bernini. Bernini is now again an old man, he's in the 60s, and he's going to be commissioned to design the greatest Baroque project of all. The dream come true for an architect to design a piazza in front of the Vatican. And we just said it, well, we said this at the beginning of our, our uh, interview that what he designs is literally what looks, if you look at the, the plan of this, you can Google and go over the Vatican nowadays with your Google Earth, you're looking at the heliocentric theory, the, the Keplerian model. And that was a heresy. So the big question is there is no doubt, absolutely no doubt, we've, we've, we've really looked deep into this that all the protagonists around Bernini, in fact, Queen Christina, by the way, is rumored to have had an affair with Bernini, although it's been denied by many historians. She definitely was extremely close to him, and she would. Um, she was there, by the way. He, she's the only person he wanted to have by his deathbed when he died. That's how close they were. He was a very, very personal friend of the Pope, of course. He was the private architect of the Vatican, and he was a very good friend of Athanasius Kircher and Zucchi. We have letters that he corresponded with Zucchi, the Pope's confessor. So he's surrounded by these astronomers who surely would have looked at his design and said, listen, Bernini, watch out, because what you're doing here is the heliocentric theory in your design right in front of the Vatican. You're building the, the, the model in stone. And what's more is right in the middle of it, you're using as the center an ancient Egyptian obelisk that came from the city of the sun. So, what more can you have than a heresy right in front of the Pope? You know, but it was done. 
And it was done. And by the way, we're not the first ones to notice this. I mean, many architects, of course, picked it up. And many astronomers uh, have mentioned it in various books. But they all were so convinced that it couldn't have happened. There was no way that the Pope would allow this that they simply brushed it aside. We're the only ones who actually dug deep and found out all these protagonists and realized that there's no way that the Pope wouldn't have known. So the Pope, by allowing this, committed a heresy. Now, why did he do it? (laughs) Why did he do it? And that's the fun part of the book. And we're reaching the end of our talk. And I'm going to let your reader, by my reader, sorry, uh, find out by themselves. It's a most amazing conclusion to this book. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it, we loved it because it, it got us very deep into the, into the mind of this Pope. Let me give you just a little clue. How many minutes do we have left? Oh, we've got about uh, four, four minutes. Good. Well, uh, I'm going to use a metaphor here, an allegory, if you like. Uh, try and cast yourself at the time of 1940 in Germany, right in the middle of the Hitler, uh, Nazi uh, 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 state. Now, there is no way that if you had ideas that opposed Adolf Hitler and the Nazi uh, doctrines, that you would make them public. There's no way at all. You would face immediate imprisonment if not being shot. So, but you had, and many did, by the way, in Germany have, a conflict of conscience, because what was going on in their country was horrible things, and they were asked to ignore it or deny it. And this is, uh, this is the terrible thing that goes on in the Vatican, because by the time that Bernini was designing the piazza, every astronomer in Europe had now accepted the heliocentric theory, because it was facts. In England, in France, in the, in, in the New World, slowly it was beginning to, to build there. People, all the, all the mathematicians had well accepted it. And the Italians, astronomers, which, which was mainly the Jesuits, were mainly Jesuits, knew that it was true. And yet in Italy, nobody could talk about it. But the dilemma wasn't just that. The dilemma was that if the Vatican set on this idea that the scriptures were right. What they were in fact saying is that God had it wrong. God made a mistake. It, was, it, was, it must have been a terrible thing for the Pope to say, I'm going to be seen in history when finally this heliocentric theory will be accepted even in Italy, which it was eventually. I'm going to go down in history as the man who said, like my predecessor, that, the, that God had made a mistake. Or that the Vatican had interpreted God wrongly. Couldn't go down. So, what the Pope does is very interesting. And how much time do we have left? One minute. One minute. Well, what the Pope does, he says part of the truth. You know, like when you go out there in a court and you say, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Well, he just swore to tell the truth, but not the whole truth. And when you begin to understand this, then the book becomes like an open window. You, you, you will never see this Vatican again the way you saw it before. You will never be able to go to Rome and see the piazza as it was seen before. You're going to see the greatest temple, the solar temple, that has been designed in, a, in, in perfect geometrical representation 
of the visible universe. So the, that's, that's the punchline of the book. There is, uh, it goes back, by the way, to ancient Egypt, because all these ideas, of course, come from ancient Egypt, the solar cults, the, the obelisk, and so forth. But I'm going to leave that to the readers. The book is out. It has been out for three days. And you can get it, I think, on Amazon and uh, certainly find it on my website where it will lead you to the various places you can buy it. There we are. We did it. Robert, thank you so much. You've done a wonderful job. My goodness, you've packed a lot into that and certainly uh, got me intrigued as to how to follow up with that. And I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so very, very much for sharing this time with us. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Whew, take a deep breath. My guest next week is Lee Albers, and Lee went on an incredible true adventure into the Amazon to connect with the head-hunting Indians of the Shuara tribe, where he went to investigate uh, gold and the green fire, which are beautiful emeralds. So his story, Gold, Shamans, and Green Fire, we will hear about on next week's show. I hope you've enjoyed today's show with Robert Baval. Remember, www.robertbaval.co.uk, not .com. And thank you so much for today, Robert. Have a wonderful week. It's Peter Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. We hope that you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.